Hello, and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith, and thank you for listening. David is not here. He is on vacation, but we have uh, a very exciting guest. Uh, listeners may recall on the uh, movie journal that I talked about a film called Mondo Hollywood Land, and you can check out my written review of that at BattleshipPretension.com. And we have here the director and writer and one of the stars it's an ensemble so let's say one of the stars co-writer uh, co-writer oh okay sorry i don't want to i don't want to uh you know force anybody out um but uh yannick ambrose yeah is i want to is it an is it a hard s or a soft s at the end it's yannick ambrose is that that's a hard i guess a hard s yeah ambrose Okay, got it. All right. Uh, when your last name is Smith, everything sounds exotic. Um, so, uh, so yeah, uh, Yannick, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, you know, I I'm, I'm a big fan. So I I've, I actually listened to this. Uh, one day I was looking. I think I was googling passive characters or something because mm. I'm interested in that. Okay. And yeah. I think that's how I found. Uh, I heard you guys, and then I listened about about it. and the name Battleship uh, Pretension. I, I'm a big Eisenstein fan. So. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's so well. Like, then <laughs> between those two, it was just a matter of time before you yeah. found the show. Uh, <laughs> before yeah. I literally ended up in your your uh, your movie cave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and and my Riddler cave, which is on the other side of the wall, uh, but. Uh, yeah, I did discover, uh, I don't think it's running anymore, but for a short time there was a show called uh, Battleship Potemcast, and I was just like, step lightly, assholes. <laughs> like, uh, there's only one that can do this. Uh, and then thankfully, uh, they, they, they might still be going, but they have not been going as long. Uh, very few have there at this go. point. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so let's talk first. I guess let's get to know you a little bit first. This is where David would ask about where you're from and... You know your upbringing and your history with movies and that sort of thing. So we'll we'll jump we'll we'll jump into that. Uh, where are you from? I'm I was born in Jersey, but uh, I'm fr- I grew up in Albany, New York. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, so uh, you know Albany's I love Albany. It's like it's the best. Um, grew up there. Just got really into film. I mean, at first I wasn't like I was into film. I was just making like uh, you know the classic like nerd story about like the eight-year-old making stop motion stuff oh, sure. all that stuff. Yeah. yeah all that stuff but um but no i think it was uh it wasn't until i was like a teenager that i like there was one summer i i love it i love like every summer i get really into like watching movies and i don't know it's something weird about it but one summer i was going through a lot as a teenager and i remember watching like all of the like the like the imdb 250 kind of sure, thing yes and so it's like you know like Lawrence of Arabia, Shawshank Redemption, Donnie Dark. I just went. I just went like crazy, and yeah. then it just totally changed my life. And that, I, that I, it must have been when I was like thirteen or something. And then, and then I just got really into it. And then, um, and then, kind of, you know, all this. It was weird. So after, after that, I kind of being around Albany. I, I, I was around a lot of friends whose parents were in business. Hmm. So I kind of had a good understanding of how, like, oh, money is how things like work in this country yeah so i wanted to make films but i kind of had this weird thing where i was like well i'm not going to go to film school i'm going to study like money economics Hmm. so i study economics and and that i think uh i so i i always kind of had this weird idea of like well i'll know business and then i'll somehow kind of put myself in a position to make a movie and like i guess that's kind of how I got into it. You know, I started my company like right when I moved to LA and I was mm-hmm. 22, which I'm still, you know, running and all that stuff. So like, that was my weird roundabout way to do the, the directing is kind of like the producing and the, the, you know, the kind of more business-esque part of it. Um, but yeah, that's, so that's, it was, it's a strange way. Cause I remember even like, yeah, people being like, why don't you just go to like film school? But like you learn, like economics is so interesting because yeah. politics, it's like, when you see stuff on TV politics, right? So much of that is actually just a, a one step removed from economics. Yeah. So there's so much material I was able to kind of write about throughout these past like 10 years since like since you know like 15 years or whatever since I was studying that it gave it wasn't just about learning about the business it was learning like about the world and like a history and mm-hmm. like and I'm really into like you know historical dramas and political political satires and obviously you know as you know like politics is like something I'm really into commentating commentating on so I think in a weird way that was a really good move because I just learned a lot about other things and maybe curious yeah. about things to write about you know? that's very interesting I do and I do think that 
so many people think of economics possibly rightfully so it's just like number crunching but so much of it does tend to involve understanding how people operate uh and and just the way uh groups versus individuals so uh, sociology operate. And, yeah and politics and all wrapped into you know and so in a way like yeah it, it makes sense that you would well it makes sense on a number of uh levels the idea of coming at things from a money standpoint first so many people i know uh they've got great really great scripts or they're very talented actors or very talented directors and they just have no idea where to find the money. Uh, and I'm sure there are a lot of money people who have no idea how to write a script as well, but but f- knowing that you have a passion for film, knowing that it's something that you can do, and then coming at it from the other perspective is something that you don't run across very much. Yeah, Cobalt is a huge yeah. reason for that. When I was younger, uh, my, I think it was my one of my cousins. My cousins gave me this list, of, this is kind of quick sidebar, this list of movies that also helped me kind of get into movies. It was like Menace to Society, Jews, Goodfellas, as I was really young. Mm. So I was really into like Scorsese and stuff, but Coppola was another thing and, and he mastered that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would be at, in his like, you know, in San Francisco in the 60s, like directing, you know, Finnegan's Rainbow and like, yeah. the, and all these weird movies before The Godfather, but also simultaneously like on the phone with like Charlie Bluthorn and like Paramount, like screaming about like deals and stuff. So that inspired me to kind of be like, okay, well, I don't want kind of, um, I think too much there's there's this kind of thing in the industry where it's like, well, I just need them to, to accept me. Right. And I think that's a very, uh, it kind of feeds into this hierarchy that I don't think is good. And that's kind of like a capital structure of being like, you know, picking and choosing who gets to tell their stories. Yeah. Where I think, just by necessity, not by any kind of big desire to be like, I want to be a businessman, but it was just really just so I can go make a little weird fucking movie like Mondo. (laughs) It's, and it's so interesting right now. I'm, I'm teaching a class at a community college and the class is diversity in Hollywood. And the textbook that we're using, I actually really like because it, it essentially is structured in such a way. It's like, well, in order to understand diversity in Hollywood, you have to understand the lack of diversity in Hollywood, which means you have, you have to understand what Hollywood is. Exactly. And which means you have to understand like very basic film structure because that's what you're going to get from most Hollywood movies is very basic, you, you, functional, competent, and often very entertaining film structure. And Hollywood does not like to take risks. And so you have to understand how most movies are made, how they're funded, what they're what Hollywood is looking for. And it is this feeling of like, boy, I hope I can get in there. And they, I hope they see that there's a way to fit me into that as opposed to kind of doing my own thing. Yeah, and I think I think a big part of a, 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 to, to create more diversity in, film and a, in the film industry is not to just say like, oh, we'll hire. Right. It's more about who's hot. It's, it's, yeah. oh, it's, 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 you know, actual ownership of yeah. the things not just being an employee to a studio yeah. that's a massive you know tech corporation that's actually the one profiting off people's work it's actually trying to get diversity in the in that so it's it's very complicated and, I, and you know i think people look need to look at it like on a deeper level in terms of like economics or like the power structures of these companies that actually make the movies you know yeah i mean and i think that like in the critic world where like we we put so much emphasis understandably so on the director that we just think like, well, if we just get a different perspective from a director, whether it be you know a person of color or a woman or whatever the situation is, something that's kind of outside the the norm that has been there for decades. If we just do that, then we're in good shape. And it's like, well, certainly that's a huge step in the right direction. But in the end, that's a director still operating within the system, so like an, what, pl- an employee to a producer. Yeah. And then whereas if you, the producer's an employee to the studio, so it's like, yeah, it's it's if you really want to kind of break the kind of hierarchy that is problematic i think that people need to really take a deep look at like who's who's really running the shop yeah. in terms of hollywood right yeah. and i think that's something that people are um more conscious of and you have a lot of uh, great producers who are i think uh you know like antoine fuqua like you have a lot of these producers who are like almost moguls in their own right yeah now that are kind of like really yeah. you know pro- doing that thing you know <laughs> mostly out of necessity like because yeah. they realized well, no one's going to give this to me, uh, at least not to the degree that I need it or the the degree that I would like it uh, as someone who wants to tell a story. And so right. suddenly you just you almost have to start your own company like you did. Um, so, yeah, that's that's very interesting. And when did you come out to Los Angeles? 
In 2012? 2012. 20, yeah, 2011, 2012, around there. Okay. And what... So what had you done... You know what? I've I've gotten ahead of myself. Let's talk about some of the movies that you really loved. You like so many, like like the rest of us. You liked movies. You made fun little movies with your friends. Right. And then around thirteen or fourteen, you start to re- there's just something that tends to be the age where like people kind of diverge. Either you just like yeah, it's a fun little diversion, or you're like well, yeah, th- you know what? This might be something I'm genuinely passionate about. So you look at like the AFI list or whatever it is, yeah. and you just start watching stuff. Um, what are some of the films that you feel like? I'll say this: the ones that sort of inspired you, but let's also say the ones that influenced you. Yeah, because it's not necessarily the same. A hundred percent. I always joke with my. Uh uh, my friend like there's my favorite movies and the best movies <laughs> no absolutely like um, no I would say um, the always one that comes to mind just cause I said like I was going through a lot and it was like and I used kind of movies to like kind of escape or whatever but it was more about like f- movies that dealt with adversity and had hope at the end cause that's mm. what I wanted right yeah. I was dealing with adversity so I wanted hope so like I still remember the first time I watched uh, Shawshank Redemption. Sure. And I still remember, it was it was weird because I watched his the other Darabont movie, which was okay, The Green Mile before, and it was a very depressing ending. Mm-hmm. So I was actually tricked as a kid that Shawshank would end depressing. Sure. So when it wasn't, I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. This is like unbelievable. <laughs> I was like, this is so like intense. And like, so little things like that. And like, that's an obvious movie, but it's like, but like that, just emotionally, I, I like that, right? But, like, my favorite movies that I think in, inspire me the most are, like, Dr. Strangelove, yeah. like, Ap- Apocalypse Now, um, you know, very into movies that just try to, are, are a little bit more on the, on the he- like, heady side and mm-hmm. try to, like, tackle, like, not just politics, because that's such a weird word, but, like, I, I don't know, like, really bring out different worldviews and, like, and, and really challenge the audience to, like, make a grand point like I, I like that's what I like about Kubrick I always think he was trying to ch- some, somehow achieve some sort of granular like psychological yeah. point on the, on, the, on, the, on humans like and that that was as I got older that was what I was getting getting more into so like Pats of Glory is another one I was really into war movies yeah um, and mostly like you know and we'll maybe we'll get into like some of the stuff I did later but like you know anti-war movies this is really something I really yeah. re- I was really into um, so yeah, and you have it's always one of those weird, like, like, but and then you also have something like Goodfellas, right? Where as a kid, I would just watch Goodfellas. I mean, mm-hmm. was, I've seen that movie so many times. It's my, I have cousins, like, the cousins I told you, like, you know, just gave me that list of movies. Like they're uh, they're Italian. They were like these gangster film, and Goodfellas was just the coolest thing yeah. I've I've ever seen. So I, there's so many, you know what I mean? But like. I always do go back to, and then there's also there's this weird thing with um, what, like the next layer of when I was starting to get into movies was like when I would watch TCM all night. Sure. And there's something about these old black and white movies that I just there's something about those that I feel like there's a there's an element to to watching movies that are very old that I don't think I think people are totally conscious of that there's something like ghostly and like about them Hmm. because you are literally watching people that are presumably have passed yeah and there's something about it's not nostalgic because you weren't there but it's this kind of just different world i get caught up in that like so there's movies like like the obvious ones like casablanca but you have other ones like petrified forest which is sure. actually a it's melodramatic but it's actually a pretty like groundbreaking in many ways they, they, it's like what's some of the some of the stuff they do you know it's more like a crucible where they're all stuck in the mm-hmm. in the um in the diner and there's like a it's Humphrey Bogart's first movie. Yeah. So I just love, I loved those like, the crackling sounds. It's there's something just very romantic about about some of those movies. So that was very influential on me. Um, yeah, there's the list goes on. I mean, I, I I definitely would would say like, and then international films that were, were really big. Cause I, you know, I'm I'm, I'm Polish. I'm, you know, my my uh, parents from Poland. So it's like. So yeah, like movies like like you know uh, Ashes and Diamonds and like and stuff like yeah. that. So I, I was just all over the map. I just I just like love all different genres and all different kinds of stories and from all over the world too. Like world cinema is really important to me. So all that stuff. Yeah, I'm a big Canal fan. I really like Canal. Uh, yeah, yeah. And 
that's one that I saw in film school, and I remember it's it's it didn't necessarily change the way I looked at, at film, but as a war movie, I really it's it's so different than than what you're presented with as a war movie. The idea that it's all happening not in some field somewhere that it's you know not in the woods but like it's happening in an urban environment and there's a stealth quality to it it's not just people just bombarding each other and i thought that was very yeah like very battle of algiers and stuff like that yeah that's yeah really that's that's some that's an, just a bizarre yeah. achieve, like a crazy achievement and i remember uh the as you're as you're talking about like filmmakers that approach their films like from an intellectual standpoint obviously every director has to but I think they want to, there are some that want to engage the audience less on an instinctive or emotional level and more on an intellectual level and Kubrick is is that 100% like I used to view I I used to think of that as like a uh, a drawback is that like his films are so cold it's only a drawback if he wants his movies to be warm, <laughs> and, right. and he clearly doesn't. Right. Uh, and I feel the same way about Wells. I adore Orson Wells, and and I remember recently I was uh, I think I was writing in a Facebook comment, and it was I wish I had written it in a less vapid situation, but uh, I basically said like Wells makes his movies like he's trying to solve a riddle. Uh, and it's not right. merely the riddle of the film; it's the riddle of how people operate. The and way an they for do. fake, he just took that and went. One hundred percent. Did you see the other side of the wind? I was. Oh uh, yeah, I saw yeah. it. I saw it actually uh, in theaters. They had like oh, they man. had a few screenings for it. And uh, Frank, Mar- what was the producer's name? I don't remember. He's now. yeah, but he was there. And it was it was cool. But no, that movie's really out there. I yeah. I, I really liked the movie in the movie. The the stuff yeah. with Houston and stuff was was pretty wild. Like yeah. it's like very like dubbed over, very weird. Like Peter. Peter McDonough just so like yeah it's, it's, it's a bizarre movie <laughs> it really is and it's one that like you know it's hard to know if it, if if Wells had been around when it was being cut like if this is exactly what it would have been but honestly like when you look at F for Fake and then it's like no I think he was headed in this direction maybe it wouldn't have been quite so manic but I think it very well could have been Like I was, almost actually date like years ago they were trying to find money Mm-hmm. And I, my company was like, oh, maybe we can try to find. So I was, I was like hoping I would I end up being a, like a producer on it. Oh, and then Netflix ended up get, getting it. But yeah. so it's, it was, a, it was a weird. I was like, imagine if I was like a producer, like a, that would a, a have co-producer been... on a horse. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? <laughs> so yeah, I was really like, like excited that I got made. But I was also like, man, that would have been cool. But like, yeah, that no, Wells is obviously, a, you know. I was really into Wells, like this, like because I go through, I went through so many phases, or right? I'm still, I'm probably going through a phase right now that I won't be really aware of until ten years sure. from now. It's all, rest, sure. it's all, so you have to look back. But like, I would listen to all of his radio plays, mm-hmm. and just like, just the, especially I feel like a lot of young people when they are trying to be a director, it's like your goal is to be like Orson Welles, but yeah. like making a masterpiece by age twenty six, yeah, and it's like, man, that's hard, <laughs> yeah. slash impossible. So it's like. No, but what Wells just has this bizarre mystique to him that yeah. that um, you know, I Touch of Evil is just obviously awesome. So like all, all, all pretty much all of his movies are super. I saw like I I think I saw when I was looking at your wall. You have the Arcadian, Mister Mr. Arcadian, yeah. You mean, yeah, and there's the um, there's the third man, radio. Uh, yes, the the life of Harry Lyme. I think mm-hmm. it is. I love that, and that character is yeah. actually in that. And so I don't know how they all that all transpired but anyway yeah, yeah sorry it's <laughs> nerd it's, out about Orson Welles all day <laughs> fine with me I have a rosebud tattoo on my arm <laughs> oh, uh, he is I, I d- my favorite movie is Nashville but my favorite director is probably Orson Welles uh, I just really Who's like Nashville yeah I love it so much Altman's awesome yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, anyway so uh, okay well that's that's uh, that's interesting hearing about like okay there's there's definitely like an anti an anti-war sort of an anti-authority bend to like the stuff that you seem to like combined with like an understanding of economics and having seen Mondo Hollywood Land which is not exactly a uh, uh, you know a quiet uh, reflection of economics like there's <laughs> but it yeah. it makes sense like when you watch that film um, and so uh, but I know that you've made many other films before this one and so what what are some of the things that you've done before this yeah so um one of the films the first film i ever made was uh, a film called son of man and it was a uh short but it was like a i made a lot like a few or five shorts but there were very like zero budget the ones this one i actually put a little money into and it was about um 
It was based off of uh, the Grand Inquisitor, which is mm-hmm. the short, the, like a parable in the Brothers Karamazov, Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. But instead, it was about Jesus coming back to the Spanish Inquisition and the, and the church kind of saying, well, we don't need you anymore. Yeah. And, you know, it was kind of like, you know, the church literally telling Jesus that, right? Yeah. So I, I adapted it and actually put it into uh, the Ostasia regime, which is in Croatia in the 40s. And they were, uh, they were like uh, Catholic Nazis. And I, you know, I was raised Catholic, so I, mm-hmm. I kind of like to tackle things that I'm like close to. Yeah. And I remember even some screenings, like, because there's there's copy in front of the movie or a title card saying like this regime did this, like these yeah. there were Catholic Nazis who did, and people at Q and A's were like, did you know that the the Nazis killed cat? I'm like, yes. You don't need to get so defensive. <laughs> yeah. World War Two is very complicated. It's <laughs> yeah. not just like uh, you know. So yeah, that kind of pissing people off, but I don't care. But like. But that movie was uh, about Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ coming back to uh, Ostasia, um, which is you know the Catholic Nazi group, and then basically saying we we obviously don't need you anymore. So right. that was a that was a very you know weird first movie to make. It's like a twenty two year old, <laughs> but like but you know it. But it, I think you know I think it's I think uh, I think there's parts of World War Two that I think uh, I remember a professor telling me like oh you don't need to talk about. Um, Nazis anymore that's been like done to death and I was just like so like what the fuck did you just say <laughs> yeah. and I was just like like what like what are you talking about man like one that there's one they still like exist but two World War Two wasn't like a 2000 years ago right. that wasn't like the comet striking like you know what do you, that was you know we know like yeah. I know it's just that important comments to me because so I that that kind of I think can go a little bit into the more like anti-fascist stuff that I, I continue continuously made. But like, no, the other stuff I made was very experimental. I would use very heavily influenced by Sergei Eisenstein with a lot of these things where I'd make um, um, these films that were out of like terabytes of, of propaganda footage, like anti-communist propaganda mm. footage, anti-this, anti like all these weird propaganda footage, footage from uh, the US and stuff. And I kind of make them into these goofy like Stories and put a lot of like crazy editing and sound hmm. design, and that, I think that helped me kind of formulate, like, figure out. Okay, oh, editing is something I really like. Yeah. So I got really into like Walter Murch, Thelma Schoonmaker is probably the biggest influence on me as a filmmaker, director, editor, producer, a- any yeah. person who influences me the most. I would it would be it would have to be her because it's like my editing is like kind of I mix shooting stuff is like. It's like I have to do it, but it's all about getting. <laughs> it's all about going yeah. to the edit room and just for me, like that's what I kind of like love doing. So, so, so Scorsese's editor, Thelma Schoonmaker, she's awesome, and she she kind of I think has a little bit of that Eisenstein touch too, right? And she talks about that quite a bit. So those were a few of those like weird shorts, and then I did um um one uh, I did I did Imminent Threat, which is a documentary about the war on terror and how it impacts civil liberties and civil rights, kind of how like the war you know abuses uh, the rights of people of you know like like muslim community and stuff like that or just really any political dissident obviously and i kind of was trying to do this thing where i was saying oh look the progressive left and the maybe more libertarian right which i think is becoming a more of a minority (laughs) i think 2015 it was actually a little bit more of an actual uh cohort yeah i mean you like in 2016, I, I, I'm somebody who voted for uh, Gary Johnson. I didn't necessarily love him, but uh, there is an, and, and he got like, what, five or six percent of the vote, which is crazy for libertarians, uh, because right. as it turns out, as, a, as an organized party, it's a, 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 a astonishingly disorganized because there's there are so many factions within it because there's like hardcore libertarian purists who are like no you we cannot give an inch it's like well then government isn't for us then right right uh but anyway sorry yeah no no no, yeah like so um so i kind of wanted to say hey if uh if these maybe two people agree with maybe um bringing some of the troops home and just that's kind of such like a like a blank like kind of a lame way to say it. it's like the real key is to reauthor or to not reauthorize but kind of to to really look at the AUMF that they signed in 20 and mm-hmm. in, in 2001 and 2 to 
uh, depending on which which one. But that basically gives a blank check to just go anywhere to go after Al Qaeda right. and its affiliates. So the real intention was to say, hey, if these two people, if if these two cohorts can come together, like someone like Bernie Sanders and maybe someone back then like a uh, Justin Amash or something mm-hmm. like that, then 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 maybe we can actually there's real legislation we can do to um, reauthor or to basically update or reauthorize that that AUMF that gave us a blank check to just go after uh, Al Qaeda any of its affiliates which they include now like people who are enemies of Al Qaeda so the whole thing is absurd so that was something I was really passionate about and still in passionate I'm I'm very uh, skeptical I'm really against anti uh, or American imperialism. I think that uh, it's not just blow, it's not just about blowback for the U.S. Like I, right. I'm very much into the idea of like a a um, you know counter hegemonic like things, project where it's like we probably shouldn't be going and you know destroying right. these countries and exploiting them and stuff like that. So that's something I feel very passionate about, and that's much more apparent. And that's very much more like a, that's a doc, right? So I'm literally right. saying like us going to these countries and bombing the shit out of them and exploiting them for their resources is bad. Like, mm-hmm. I have no... You know, that's that's what I think, right? But the movie was low budget. I, I, didn't, I interviewed, like, you know, uh, Jody, uh, or Jody Evans of Code Pink of, of ACLU. But and then on, this, on the other side, I, I you know, I, I interviewed people with Cato and stuff like that, so mm-hmm. I wasn't just this, you know, left point of view. I wanted to kind of say, hey, these two things can maybe come together and to maybe help stop American imperialism, regardless of what maybe what the next step is. But the first step is to just get rid of this 2001 AUMF. One that right. Barbara Lee was the only person who didn't um, sign on to, and she got a lot of uh, hate for that. But now people are like, you know, tweeting out her video for right. objecting to it after 9-11, which is very brave of her. But um, but yeah, so that was like, that was my first feature. And then I did a, um, a doc about kind of like a, a short doc on that I shot in Paris that was called May 15th of Paris and I produced it with Barbara Dafina and she's Scorsese's longtime producer so hmm. that was really cool because I always uh, you know she produced Goodfellas and you know like I said I was obsessed with Goodfellas and I shot that in Paris and that was kind of a it was in 2016 or 2015 when I shot it and that was a little bit of like a a warning of like kind of the rise of fascism in the West so it was right around when Trump was getting elected it was right around when Le Pen was trying to get elected against mm-hmm. Macron um, it was around Brexit so that was one that I really wanted to kind of, it's, it's, it's not done in a doc way, it's more of this kind of experimental way, but that's what it was commenting on. So that one was really, uh, was really fun, because it was in Paris, black and white. French, La Haine uh, is one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. So it was cool to kind of like use black and white Paris and stuff like that. Uh, so the, and then and then I was like, okay, time to do a narrative feature. And then, I made, and then yeah, and then we'll get into guessing into Mondo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's, uh, for anybody that has seen the film, uh, I do really, I think it's delightful, delightfully funny. It's like, all right, time to get into a narrative feature. And this is the one you end up with, uh, because I feel like, uh, while there is definitely, there is a narrative, uh, I would say it's not narrative focused. It's one of the things that I really like about, uh, the movie and I'm fine to get into it now. Um, yeah, I, uh, watched it again. Uh, before to kind of prep for this and make sure that I had uh, some stuff straight in my head <laughs> and and I liked it even more the second time it, it's just you know it is low budget and that shows from time to time but that's okay uh, as far as like some audio stuff but undoubtedly you know about that and right. might have lost sleep over it um, but I also am not at all surprised that you love editing so much and you just see so much potential in editing and that you're an Eisenstein fan and a Thelma Schoonmaker fan because there are certain montages in the film that are that are in my opinion as good as anything I've seen from big budget movies and it really captures a vibe uh, of Hollywood of these characters lives and you just get this sense, and I put this in my written review, you just get this sense that these characters are just kind of drifting, and they they might have a, they, they will be walking along and then they, a goal reveals itself to them. It's like, oh, I'll pursue that. And then, then if they accomplish it, it's like, oh, okay. Well, shit, now what do I do? Uh, but then uh, there are other people who have one goal and they can't accomplish it. And just this, it's such a... I think it's tremendously funny. I think it's obviously very psychedelic uh, at times, but I really uh, I feel like it's such a 
it's a very American movie, but I do think that there's such a Hollywood quality to it because this is this is the place that people come to pursue things, you know. Right. And when characters are unable to achieve that, uh, I think there's an inherent sadness to it, and yet a certain degree of inspiration that they tried it all. Um, in my opinion, and so between that and it is a, a political film, and this is a political town, and so. Um, yeah, I just uh, and I said this on the movie journal. I said it in the in my written review, and just saying it now. And so, listeners, if I haven't sold the film to you yet, uh, I don't know what else I can say. But uh, but yeah, so I really liked it, and I thought it was such a. I'm so glad that that I said yes to reviewing it because we get a lot of emails from people saying like, "Hey, I made this low budget film. Will you guys review it?" And it's like. I don't really have the time, but I, oh, I was like, I'm bothering so many critics. Oh, right I, now. oh, it's like Tiff right now, Venice. They're like, dude, what are you talking about? You're like fucking like you like little tiny cell phone. Movie. Oh yeah, like, get the fuck off my email, fucking. Though I do think that after something like Tangerine, like the idea of making a low budget movie on your phone becomes more feasible for people to take seriously. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I'm curious to know like where did this? Well, let's try this. When you describe Mondo uh, Hollywoodland to people, how do you start? Like, if someone says, what's this movie about? Oh, yeah. It's like okay. uh, about a uh, groovy, maybe politically confused mushrooms dealer <laughs> who traverses through, like, Hollywood types, political groups, psychedelic characters in pursuit of the meaning of Mondo. Okay. In, like, the dog days of the Trump years. Now that now that's a little bit of time's elapsed. So, you know, right. So, so it's like, yeah, so I would say that's, that's like, my way of describing Okay, it. so that's... And that's a fairly straightforward uh, 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 description of the, the character of Boyce? Is Boyle. Boyle, Boyle, pardon me. Um, and, uh, and yet, if somebody says, well, what's the... What does the film? What does the film feel like? If so, which is nobody would ever ask that. But uh, but you know you described the story. But the film, in my opinion, is about so much more than the story. Uh, it is again about the the feeling. So how would you describe the feeling of the film? Oh man, I don't know. I'm sorry, like, I don't mean to put you on. No, the spot. no, that's interesting because it's like it's like tapping into like uh, it'd be like trying to tap into my crazy brain blim's crazy brain brain marcus's crazy you know brain they all the actors like everybody mm -hmm. put so much weird qualities to it yeah and uh i don't know like I, I would say like just this kind of just like mondo i don't know like like really like i think we were really trying to like what it, we would joke around and we'd be like well, there's a difference between mondo and groovy like this this thing's mondo but this thing's groovy like, to us it's like well yeah, it's like it's a kind of like a whole joke we have, but I don't know. Like, I guess the feeling would be like, um, like, because I know you're not saying like, like more like message or theme. It's more feeling. Like, yeah, yeah. It's not to suggest there isn't a message or theme. Oh yeah, but, yeah. But I, I, do, I think there yeah. definitely is. But yeah. Like, but like with with that with the feeling, it's like you know, it's kind of just like freewheeling. It's just like it doesn't. Yeah. Like there's, I'm okay. I like that it's not professional i think the professional stuff i mean uh you know i'll elicit coppola probably a lot but just, i do it all the time people probably find it annoying but like coppola had this really cool thing where one time he was um just like pontificating about cinema and he was like uh, in an interview and he was like well one day you know there's just there's gonna be some weird this is the 80s like, there's gonna be some, like these little cameras and you can just go out and shoot stuff and the so-called professionalism will cease to exist and it'll truly mm -hmm. become an art form now I'm not say I don't think that's exactly where we're at right now, but like right. I just like that idea of the democratization of film, and so I yeah. kind of like the idea of it kind of being like. Trust me, I get nervous. Like even f like f like people looking at maybe back home, like in like or like fr you know pe friends watching it, they're like, oh, this is like cheap. But in, in the context of hot of like people in the industry, I like that. I'm like, yeah, this is this yeah. is this is a. A cheap. This is like a non. It doesn't have to be a professional film for for, for you yeah. to enjoy. It. I and like I that. and I do think going back to what we were talking about before, like in this class that I was that I was talking about, that we're all so accustomed in the U.S. and uh, and elsewhere, we're all so accustomed to seeing like Hollywood productions that have a nice sheen on them, and that we define professional in a very specific way. And so if something falls outside of that. 
not only do we say it's not very professional, but we also find reason to dismiss it. Meanwhile, as a fan of like John Cassavetes, you go back and look at his stuff, you look at faces or shadows, any number of people uh, then and now would watch that and say like, what am I even watching here? This, this looks and sounds cheap. And so like before when I was talking about how like sometimes the budget shows, that could turn some people off it didn't necessarily bother me because you refuse to let yourself be defined solely by that. Yeah, and I think you got to embrace that. And I think we were uh, f- fortunate to have so many really just great friends who were talented actors to kind of like... Because it's one thing if it looks cheap and it's only like a few characters. Because it's like... this is I'm not knocking Mumblecore at all. I, I, my whole point is I like lower-budget stuff. But I think sometimes it's like you associate maybe just like a few characters talking about their relationships. There's white right. walls. They live in Silver Lake or Brooklyn. And it's just very like, you know, these problems really big of issues. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like there's like a, like a, there's like a, like a love triangle. Like, but like, I think it's about you utilizing the world around you and lucky enough to have people like people willing to be in your movie and trust you on maybe more of a creative thing that, that maybe can kind of elevate it into something different because like cheap can look cheap if it is cheap but it's like it's not and, and I'm gonna do it again Coppola he so I was fortunate enough to speak to him after bothering his uh, his attorney for a while and being like can I <laughs> talk to him this is like years ago and he said don't worry about the camera He that's the big reason why I went with going with a cell phone he goes don't worry he goes any he goes so many people can make a pretty picture you know they can make they can shoot they shoot commercials or whatever yeah. but it's about the you know story and the acting now you know I'm not saying he's like I'm not saying but it's like but if you because I think honestly a lot of the movies has a lot of like style to it whatever mm-hmm. with the, with like the sound and it's all but like no I think he he's right to say that because I think so many people I think when, when they're making movies like oh we gotta get the RE and all that stuff it's like yeah but it's like if you have the the, the lower amount of, of cost you have on like if you don't have the money when you just don't have the choice but Shooting on a cell phone, we can shoot. We were able to shoot anywhere. So there's so many locations for like a quote unquote like yeah. low budget movie, and so many actors for a low budget movie. You know, so it's it's all about kind of like embracing it and maximizing what you have around you, and and just having interesting like you know ideas and stuff. Like that. And you know, I think about that that Twitter account, one perfect shot. Like you know the one I'm t- I'm talking about. It's you're probably better off um it's where essentially like the the account itself and then people contributing to it will like find just admittedly a very beautiful shot from a film and they'll just say and and there's just a certain of course it's a very uh subjective term but there's just a, a certain perfection to that shot and what it's capturing and the placement of actors or whatever it is and that's all well and good there's nothing wrong with being able to appreciate that but of course a perfect shot can be anything a perfect shot can be something that captures exactly what the director is trying to do at that particular moment. Uh, it might not be lit like the assassination of Jesse James by the coward right, Robert right, Ford, right. which is, of course, a beautiful movie, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it, that style of photography fits that movie, which is very much about like a legend in the making and that sort of thing. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't think anybody would point to somebody to go to repeat myself. Um, somebody like a John Cassavetes or even maybe a Jim Jarmusch uh, and say, oh my gosh, their films are so beautiful. And meanwhile, it's like, yes, they might not be conventionally beautiful, but who's to say that they're not beautiful in their own way because of what the director's all trying those, to do. All those guys, I forget which one it is, maybe it's Husbands or whatever with Cassavetes, yeah. when they're all on the subway just laughing together, uh, I think that's, that's fucking yes. beautiful. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you see that image of them with the, the camera shaking, it doesn't even matter, and it's just a, a bunch of guys screwing around a subway who, are, yeah. who love each other, who are friends, and they're just hysterically laughing. That's more beautiful than any fucking... Hundred million dollar shot of a fucking yeah. you know moon crashing into the or, you know it's like uh, whatever it is but like yeah. that's uh, like yeah it's all about it's all human con- you know human connection and and you know like and maybe in some of the way I, I I like to do stuff is like I like I try to do is like uh maybe making some like point or something but like no it, it's it's yeah m- money isn't the answer for and it's becoming yeah. less and less relevant 
back in the day, I think, uh, and that's why Cassavetes is so cool because back then it was really difficult to just like yeah. you couldn't just like put it up on like the internet, like right. Yeah, so he's just he's yeah he's he's something else. I mean he he was he was such a I, 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 I like a you know just important important character in the in the film journey of yeah in the, in the journey of film to, to for independent film you know what I mean and that's and thinking in terms of the idea of democratization of of filmmaking uh you know we we all talk about how horrible the internet uh, can be and it, certainly it can be but at the same time like you are able to hear from people you're able to hear voices that you absolutely would not have been able to hear from otherwise and that's very exciting to to me like you know i i say this not as a brag on me like i've gotten two micro budget documentaries funded you know why because streaming services need content of any kind right not because i'm a good salesman or even that the movies themselves are that good but like the, there's a way to use that it's it sounds very cynical but like that that desperate thirst for content at all times on the part of the audience and the part of the the streaming services there's a way to use that to your advantage and if you can just pitch just a little bit uh you can actually get a movie made and suddenly there's another bit of on one hand content but another another bit of art out there for people to engage no 100 percent. and i think people have this like obsession of uh the de- the the destination and the idea of success where mm-hmm. it's like you know you gotta just you gotta just you gotta make stuff that is fun for you and the yeah. people that you're working with. You know, otherwise. I did get a sense that you guys had fun making this film. Do you feel like it was fun? Yeah, I, and and you know, I've been on because I've produced a lot. Because I mostly just talked about the stuff I di- I've directed, but I've I've you know produced quite a, quite a few things. And like you know, a lot of sets I've been on is like you know, there's a lot of like like conflict and like people are mad at each other and there's like ego and stuff. Mm-hmm. But we were lucky enough to really you know shoot with our friends and you know i hope you know i think everybody had a really fun experience so it's like i i think that was uh i think that probably in some way does come across as a, a, because it's just like real like i think mm-hmm. like there's you know those moments obviously where it's like you know we're like losing our minds a little bit because we're like you know trying to shoot all this stuff it's like it's like 65 shoot days or something like that yeah so like but no i think for the most part it was like a it was like a good time you know <laughs> like we didn't have it i think part of that was we didn't have a crew, mm. so there was no crew. There was no. It was Bl- Blim and I were the crew, um, and there was a few days where we had like a sound person like come in and help, like the, like especially when I if I was on like the anti like the Antifa scenes like, mm. when I was on camera because it's just not enough, you know. <laughs> it's like literally like so like, but no, there wasn't a crew, which like, and that I think had a lot to do with the fact that you know if you had a crew. And you were pay, like, and you couldn't pay the like. It's it gets really like there probably would be that, but it's like no. I think we just so we don't have the money. And we're gonna cast our friends, and they were super amazing to do this mm-hmm. without you know getting paid. I mean, paid straight up like yeah. that. I, I'll, I'll always just appreciate because it's just like they're putting their talent and work in, into this thing, you know. And that's so it's it's all it's all credit to, to the to cast for for having us having a good time because they were so trusting of us and they're just all so so amazing and stuff like that but like the uh but yeah we didn't have a crew which i think kind of helped it to not be too weird of being like hey guys can you come out you know to the right we could have ace like you can't ask that of because of, of, it's like they're not on camera they're, they're not getting the kind of like you know like it's so it's it there was a lo- there was a level of just like freewheeling this and just like f- yeah just kind of having fun because a lot of the times like we would just shoot stuff randomly and there's something to be said for um that old i mean going back to this idea of making movies you know silly movies with your friends when you're 11 or 12 and if you can capture that dynamic again in your 30s or something like that uh the the joy of the experience i think can come through uh to to the audience and even if even if it's not their kind of movie uh i feel like they can still pick up on that vibe and just feel like they're part of the fun too Right, um, and I feel like this it really does happen with this film certain scenes especially that's, oh, that's good their little that's their, good their, their heist at the, their heist at the end right. uh, is the characters and the actors are clearly having so much fun that it's hard not to go along with it as a right. viewer um, 
but uh, and I was curious. Uh, when did you when did you shoot this? Did you shoot this like in the thick of uh, lockdown or, or no no no? So we shot this. So I think you, you I think you asked this before. It's like how did it kind of all originate? There was this, and I think it's important because the we have to, you know pay you know respect to uh, to the, the original Wanda Hollywood. So the, there was a screening in like 2014. It was a long time ago. So 2014, there was a screening uh, of Mondo Hollywood, which is mm-hmm. a 1967 cult classic by uh, which I've sadly never seen. Yeah, it's 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 more of a documentary. Mm-hmm. It's like JC brings in it and stuff like that. It's like it's it's not a narrative film, but it's Mondo, and it's not like it's not like the there's some Mondo films that are like too crazy. I've never watched them, but like. But it's it's still pretty out there and like you know, but that movie was something that Paul Thomas Anderson presented at the AFI Film Festival, hmm. um, and uh, my co the, one of the co-writers Marcus was is really into PTA and he went of course and then I saw it later like on uh, YouTube and I was like oh, this movie's nuts and like I, I just like the I was trying to find a movie to do without much money so I was like oh what if I just did like a Documentary, like a weird documentary in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. We're originally going to do it in VR. Wow. And I didn't, and this is like, in, yeah, and then, I, and then I was like, this is kind of, I don't know, I don't like VR. I, I have friends who are in VR. It's really cool. It's a whole different thing. No, it's not film. It's, it's not film. Yeah. It's not. If you're, if you're giving the audience the decision to look places, then you're kind of yeah. uh, going against, you know, it, whatever. It's, I still think it's awesome, but like, so anyway, so, um, and then I, uh, you know, so I met, I started to work with Blim, and then he kind of, when me and him worked together, we really were like, oh, let's, he was, he's plays Boyle, and mm-hmm. he's the producer uh, with me, and the writer, and, and uh, production designer. We pretty much made the movie together in like a production sense, like we were just, you know, at it. We kind of were like, oh, let's, let's just blow this thing up and make it more of like a narrative film. And so me, him, and Marcus would work on the scripts, and then we started shooting in like 20, 18. Oh, okay. Yeah, so this was, uh, that's why I said like, the dog days, like, the end days of the, of the right. So it's like, there was this kind of, uh, there was still political charge in the air. But yeah, some people thought I was shooting, uh, they were like, oh, it's in the, in the, during lockdown, because there's a lot of protests and right. stuff. yeah. But no, 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 this, this was, uh, this was, this was prior to, to COVID. And it was funny, during quarantine, I think I remember, I think it must have been Chris, uh, Blim, he's like, he's like, this is like in the middle of COVID, right? It was like, mm-hmm. everything was just like shut down. It was just like, you know, even cloudy, even in LA. It was just like this weird, like, yeah. what's going on? And then he was, he's like watching, he's like, or he's like looking at her, and he was like, this is such like a different world. <laughs> you know what oh, I mean? Because yeah. it's like, so no, this was pre, this was pre, uh, this was uh, pre, pre-COVID, we shot it. And so it was like 2018. Yeah, I remember the, it was, it was early on. It was probably like April or May of 2020 so like it was it was the early days of of lockdown and of course it's los angeles there's traffic all the time and i remember i had to go somewhere in the morning and there's no traffic and i was like this is strange like this is genuinely like post-apocalyptic kind of stuff uh and it was a very uh, a very strange time but uh anyway um, oh yeah yeah <laughs> so uh not to suggest the time is over but you know at, there's traffic again. Let's put it that no, way. No, no. Yeah, we, can, we, can, we can be today. honest, man. There's a yeah. big difference between now and April 2020. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so... Uh, now, I did briefly, just because I enjoyed it so much, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but you are on camera in the film. Yeah. Playing, to the degree that the film has a, a villain, uh, your character's kind of the villain. I guess that's a spoiler, sort of. No, it's, it's not, because I think originally... Uh, the character Boyle, uh, the neighbors introduced, and he's like, "That's true." Yeah, yes. he's like, "So you're right away," and 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 Boyle's, you know, says, "I think this dude's a fascist and a pervert." Mm-hmm. So right away, you're kind of like, "Huh," you know. And so I play, uh, yeah, his name's Derek, and um, yeah, so just just you know, because I know hopefully you know some people want to watch it after this. I, it does kind of get into spoilers because there's a bit of a twist, but yeah, so that was a, a really uh, interesting uh, thing to do. I I in one in some sense was like, I, how can I ask anybody to play this character? It's all the other characters are so fun and cool, sure. and then this character is just a total fucking piece of shit. Like you you found a way to make him fun though. I think as as a performer, I assume it was fun playing that character. Yeah, yeah, and I think I uh, I think I took some uh, influences 
references from some certain people, like <laughs> you know, uh, that rhyme with uh, Len uh, Mamiro. You know, <laughs> so like, there's people like t- like Tim Pool, Ben Shapiro. Uh, even fucking Tucker Carlson, I think I was taking some of his like, sure. like, it's like his weird like f- fucking cackles and shit like that, or just yeah. like a, just a lot of these kind of more like um, pundits who are, uh, in my view, just uh, not not groovy and despicable, and uh, and I wanted to kind of do that, and if and it was like I wanted to, and there were some other even just bizarre places that I I did the I got the performance from, um, but it was really helpful to have a. Blim and uh, Alex Loynes, who's a co-producer on the film and plays Ted. He's, I mean, the, I think the whole cast is good, but like, there's just there's such a specific energy to Ted. Yeah, he's the fucking man, dude. <laughs> and because he's the characters Ale- co- coked Ale- out of his mind the whole time. Yeah, but I think he did a great job. Yeah, Al's uh, Al's awesome. I just got off the phone with him a few minutes ago, uh, right before I got here. He's he's the man, uh, Alex Loynes. Everybody, check him out. But like, no, so they really were. It was. I never acted before, so hmm. it was really cool for them to kind of be like, "Yeah, you should do it," and like, kind of help me, kind of like start it out. And then I, I do like a lot of pers- impersonations of people, so that kind of helped a little bit. Okay, cause yeah. I'm playing because I'm not really playing like, you know, I, I'm not really like. There is that little moment at the end we talked about, but like, I'm not really like. There's no redeeming characteristics to this character, right. so I can play a full blow. There's something I like about, and I'm just curious what you think about this. There are evil people out there right and mm-hmm. i think that sometimes we tend to try to uh, this is it's like well, you gotta humanize everything there's a movie uh the man who shot liberty valance yeah where who's the actor again uh who plays the not john wayne that's he's a complicated kind of jimmy stewart no the other one. Oh, um lee marvin lee marvin lee yeah. marvin's character is just a dis- a yeah. horrific human and there's nothing we can do about it there's no redeeming characteristics and I there's something about that that of course you don't want to make evil twit mustache you know yeah. twit, but there is something I think especially in the terms of a movie that's kind of t- like is in like an anti-fascist movie that well there is somebody out there in this movie that is a bad person mm-hmm. and that I'm not too concerned about spending time of like no. I don't care. So I was I had fun making this character just annoying, right? Yeah, I tend to, and I think with a film like this, tonally, it you're right. You can exactly, do that this isn't a like a easier. yeah. This isn't yeah. like <laughs> some like you know like uh, yeah exactly. And so uh, yeah, I I definitely know that I tend to like my villains to be humanized, mostly so that I can say like, okay, I. If I'm not careful, I guess I could turn out like that. Uh, whereas uh, a character who's just 100% just joyfully evil, it's just like, well, I feel like I can't really relate to them, so I can't really learn anything from them. That said, my sort of my favorite villain, in my opinion, like the best film, the best villain in like film history, is Noah Cross from Chinatown, and that is a guy who. He's relatable in that he's like grandfatherly as John right. Houston again. Well, yeah, that is. Yeah, that's but a, he is a monster, he's and a he monster. is an unrepentant monster. Uh, and I remember when uh, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies came out, and they just kept doing this. Th- I like them, but they kept doing this thing like with Green Goblin, and then with Doctor Octopus. That like, oh, there's co- kind of a split personality thing, and part of me's like, or you could just let them go bad just let them be bad guys who just want to do bad things that's okay i understand why you're doing that because you also want them to connect with peter parker i get that but there is there there are people there who, are there's who evil out yeah. there like, <laughs> like there, there is and, and yeah and there's there's you can of course get into you know into the, maybe the psychology of why there why that exists and 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 uh, and all that kind of stuff, but but sometimes you just have to call spade a spade, and, yeah. and, and and I think in terms of with something like this, which like I said is kind of a a movie that kind of is is anti-fascist, and there's there's a character we've been talking about that you know is that then it's okay to just kind of be like that's the person. Now, like I said, we do have a little bit of a twist. The character starts off. Um, in one way, he's, he's you're right. wondering, okay, well, this, this character, he's with these people, which is like, yeah. and then it kind of, you know, morphs from there. I know we're kind of dancing around spoilers. Right, right. right. Um, and I do, yeah, and I did, as we were talking before, we were talking before the recording, and, and I was talking about how much I liked your performance, and I it was clear to me what was happening with that performance. 
and it sounds like not many people caught it. Is is that true? Like oh, the bench period. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. people did people catch it? James Cromwell did, which is hilarious. Sure. Like, I, which is just so funny because it's James Cromwell, and he was just like, "Oh, like, but, you know." Yeah. But like, it's well, a very, it's a very clear cadence. Uh, if, <laughs> yeah, if you've, yeah. If you've heard him once, no, I appreciate. You've got it. It. I always wonder if people think that, but it's like you know, the character itself is not. It is it, like he's is not really. Like, he's his own thing, of course. So like, it's it's a it's an a collection of different yeah. people and there's some it's a collection of people like him who i don't like and then uh there's a collection of people that even who i actually am like know in my personal life they just do weird things and i sure so there's like i i tend to kind of yeah with when i do impersonations i try to like it's like all these weird little in like weird things that i kind of put in there but yeah so like that that was really fun for sure and not yeah not i i don't know i, I guess some people have been catching it more, okay. more but like but yeah uh, I'm glad that you mentioned because I was gonna. I, I almost forgot. Uh, you mentioned James Cromwell. What? What? What is that? Like how? In what way is he involved? I know that he executive produced it, but how did that happen? Yeah. So so uh, he's uh, awesome. So you know, if anybody doesn't know, he's the actor from uh, The Farmer and Babe. No. Mm-hmm nominated for an oscar that's right <laughs> um he's in la confidential he's in uh, the new the secession he's won an emmy for um american horror stories he's in tons of stuff he's a great character actor. he's actually in green mile i think i mentioned mm-hmm. that a little bit earlier um he and stretch and all in the family um <laughs> i he basically is i'm but i mostly knew him because he was he's a progressive who's really into um, you know, like love politics and anti, very anti-war, very anti, uh, uh, you mm-hmm. know, American imperialism, all that stuff. So for Imminent Threat, I actually reached out to him for that. Okay. So I was like, hey, can you, I originally first talked to um, Oliver Stone mm-hmm. and he was coming out with Snowden. So he was right. like, no, because people will, people will know where I stand. I'm like, bro, everybody knows where I stand. So I don't know. He might have just not liked it. <laughs> sure. I don't think. Sure. But no, I'm joking. I mean, but it's like you but, mean noted centrist Oliver Stone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was kind of like, oh, okay. He just doesn't want to do it. It's fine. Just like, but like, no, Oliver Stone's. You know, he's. I think he's a really important voice in film. But like, um, whatever. But um, but anyway. So Cromwell, um, he's awesome. He came on board uh, for Imminent Threat, and then I actually didn't reach out for him for for Mondo for a while until the movie was done, and I was mm-hmm. like. You know, I, I I feel really I feel more comfortable with it with his name. It's like yeah. it, it almost it's not just about validation. It's like I I like what I like him as a person of what he does. What he yeah. great way he's 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 very like he's an activist. He really does go do the yeah. things. He's he could you know he goes to jail for doing the things he the things he cares about for protesting for animal rights right. for you know progressive policies for you know cl- climate change. So. He, People should really look into James. Uh, James, uh, other than just his acting, uh, you know, it's yeah. a great story even about his father, John Cromwell. Do you know him? Mm-mm. His father was a, a great director. He directed uh, *Of Human Bondage* with uh, oh, Les- okay. with uh, Leslie Howard. No, no, I, I, I might be messing that name, but um, but he also um, yeah, he directed just these great films of the '30s, and he was actually blacklisted. Hmm. So, um, so he has a very interesting backstory uh, with that. But, um, but yeah, so. He put his name on it because he he knows that okay that's gonna help the film get out yeah. there a little bit. I think people kind of turn their head when they see his name. So so he lends his name to, he lent his name to the film to, to help the film, and I'll be for, forever grateful because it, yeah. it, it really did it really made a difference with Imminent Threat, and it really makes a difference with Mondo. Um, and just being in the same company, as someone like him is just like an honor and stuff. You know? Yeah, like knowing because I did know about like his politics and his activism so my first thought was like oh yeah okay I I can I can make the connection here but I did my that was that came eventually my first thought was like James Cromwell like the guy who's super respectable and and play you know he's played William Randolph Hearst he's played Prince Philip like there there's a a certain magisterial quality to him as as an actor and so the idea that he would be involved with like such a kind of crazy chaotic film uh it's not what people think of immediately but it's like it's it's very mondo but it's very mondo Mondo that that that, that, yeah that that, that. with with, um no that it does it's really funny he's like a he's like this tall like you know distinguished uh man of wonderful wonderful voice yeah yeah so it's but uh um and so yeah, it is obviously like it's 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 awesome that that's like it's like James Cromwell. Yeah, so I'm sure to some people it's like what, but but like yeah. if you if you kind of you know know him, it's like it's like uh, if you, or like what he's into and stuff. It's like it, it make it makes it makes a little more sense, mm-hmm. you know. 
So uh, we need to wrap up. So I, my question is, where can people find Mondo Hollywoodland? Um, yeah, so you can find it on Amazon Prime. Okay. Um, I believe soon it'll be like on Apple TV. Soon it'll be uh, streaming. But for right. now, it's just rented for a couple bucks on Amazon Prime. Okay. Um, you can check out uh, our Instagrams, Mondo Hollywoodland. Um, we're kind of, you know, putting out footage and stuff like that, behind the scenes stuff and all that kind of all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, it is. And and as I, you know, I've already praised it enough. But uh, but yeah, it is. Uh, listeners, it's a film that I definitely recommend. I think it's a lot of fun. I think there's some really some really funny moments, some really poignant moments, uh, and it's just a, a good time. Um, in the meantime, uh, you can find us at BattleshipPretension.com. You can uh, follow us on Twitter, at The Pretension. You can like us on Facebook. Uh, on the website right now, I don't... Uh, the only thing I know <laughs> is that I have a new written review there of uh, the movie Small Engine Repair, which I actually thought was pretty good. So, um, so yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for, for being here. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been uh, it's 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 a it's a, it's a weird movie. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, if anybody wants to check it out, definitely definitely do so. Absolutely. Um, so thank you everybody for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye.